take our Bibles and open to Psalms. We're going to go to Psalm 88. Psalm 88. This is the third message in our Psalm series. These Psalms are the liturgical backbone of Israel's worship, congregational worship. Now, these are ancient hymns, if you will, ancient songs, but they are so practically, practically relevant. I think you saw that last week. Scott did an amazing job as he unpacked Psalm 32. Um, I was listening to it and, I'm, and I just couldn't keep up because there's things I wanted to write that he said. Uh, perhaps the most important lesson we would take from that, that Psalm from Scott is don't ever try to outwit his mother. Um, that one story that he told of uh, her pulling the vacuum away and then asking him that question, which he's never, ever forgotten. Um, in, in all seriousness, there's something Scott said that, that, that is an introduction to our text today, and that's why I wanna reach back to it. Um, he mentioned this, that there's a way, there is a God way that goes against our understanding. He was quoting Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. There's a God way that's just counterintuitive is what it's saying. It's like, God says, do it this way, but it's like, no, that makes no sense. I'm not gonna do it that way. And confession, is that not counterintuitive? Because in our fallenness, when you and I sin, when we do something wrong, secrets, you know, that we keep, whatever, we, we, our, our tendency is, okay, no one ever needs to know about that. And we hide it. And we think, okay, now I'm okay, because no one knows. The Bible invites us to make it known. You talk about counterintuitive that it's in the revealing, it's in the confession of our sin that we find freedom and forgiveness and grace and intimacy with God. Now I go to that because there's another counterintuitive principle, lesson, means of grace, resource for the Christian life that we're gonna touch upon in Psalm 88. It's, it's, it's one of those things, just like confession, like, no, I need to hide. No, 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 the Bible invites us to step into our sin and confess it. In the same way, this principle in Psalm 88 is one that we go, I don't need to go that way. I don't, oh, no, 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 don't give in and go there because that will not get me where I need to be, which is here. And when we miss the invitation and the resource that God gives us in this Psalm and in others. Listen, we forfeit assurance of his grace. We, we forfeit strength of faith. We forfeit hope because we think we're gonna get hope going that way. And God says, no, it's this way. Step into this and you will find hope. I'm speaking about a, a biblical practice called lament. Lament, and, and you go, well, I don't know what that is, but we, we generally do. Just let's start with the, 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 the dictionary definition of lament. It's a, as a verb, it is to express sorrow at loss. Lose something dear and you feel that pain. And, and what you do with that pain is, the Bible says, you lament that pain. As a noun, it's a deep cry. It's a mourning or wailing and grieving. From the Bible, we learn a lament is the biblical response to loss. You and I will not escape loss on this planet. None of us escape loss. And so God invites us to do something with the loss that prompts the brokenness of our soul. We don't hold it, we don't hide it, we don't run away from it. God invites us to lament that 
loss. Now, we may not be familiar with lament, but I assure you the people of Israel were. Uh, I already mentioned, we've talked about there's 150 Psalms. 65, if not a few more, are laments. So how about if you're, the, the backbone of your liturgy and all the doctrine and theology of your faith resides really within these Psalms, how about if 65 of them, over half of, you know, upwards of half of them, they're, they're lament Psalms. There are more lament Psalms than there are praise Psalms or, or supplication Psalms. You see, there's more lament Psalms. It was both a personal practice to to practice a lament. And it was, it was also the corporate expression of sorrow at loss. I'm trying to say this, as we note just by the number in the Psalms, Israel could not live without lament. And what I'm suggesting is neither can you or neither can I. Now, warning on Psalm 88, Derek Kidner, one of my favorite Scholars writes of Psalm 88, there's no sadder prayer in the Old Testament. This is where we're going this morning. Old Testament scholar Tremper Longman says it this way, no Psalm ends on a more dismal note than this one. And then finally, Walter Brueggemann, who's perhaps the foremost scholar on the Psalms in our generation, Brueggemann says this, Psalm 88 is an embarrassment to conventional faith, end quote. And you have to think about that one. It's an embarrassment, what does it mean? Well, you gotta think about conventional faith. And what Brueggemann is saying, you all, is if, if you and I possess a faith that has no room for lament, that has no room for mystery, that has no room for disappointment with God, that has no room for anger at God, that has no room for doubt. If your faith is conventional and has no room for those things, then you'll look at Psalm 88 and, and scratch it out. You wanna tear it out of your Bible. I mean, what do you do with a Psalm that begins with, oh God, and ends with darkness? And that's the question we're gonna answer this morning. What do we do with Psalm 88? How does God use it to shape Christ and deepen faith in us? Now I'm gonna move through it rather quickly. Um, we'll take a few little verses at a time, but I want you to know there's rhyme and reason to the Psalm. Brueggemann notes this. I'll put it up on a slide. There are three times in the Psalm where the Psalmist cries out. You know, I cry out. And Brueggemann says those three places form the structure of the Psalm. So the whole Psalm fits on those three cries of the soul. I'll put it here, one through nine is, I cry out day and night, that's verse one. And so then he describes that crying in verses one through nine. And then you hit nine B and he says, I call upon you every day. And then from nine B through 12, he, he speaks of that calling. And then there's a third one. He says in verse 13, I cry to you in the morning. And then he unpacks his cry. Let's start in verses one through four. We're under the heading, I cry out day and night. Now those are just kind of bland and, and just, I'm just copying the text in this phrase that says, after we walk through it, I'm gonna put a phrase on the end of it that says, oh, that's what he's crying about. That's what he's despairing, okay? So verses one through four, the Psalm begins. Oh Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you, let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. 
Why? For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. I am satiated. It's like the the picture of being full after a big meal. I don't have any room for any more food. Why? Because I'm full of what? I'm full of troubles. I'm full of miseries. I'm full of affliction, calamity, misfortune. And my soul is drawing near to Sheol. I'm, I'm, I'm like I'm being dragged down to the pit. Now you gotta think about it this way. Sheol in the pit for them is death. I'm sliding toward death and I'm right on the edge and I'm looking over and there's death. And I have no strength left in me. It's a picture of someone sliding, you know, like sliding down a cliff and trying to grab onto stuff as you go and everything you touch is like glass and I can't hold on and I'm going deeper and deeper into darkness. If you've ever experienced depression, and I have, and many of us have, that's not a bad description of what depression feels like, a darkness that I have no strength, no way to not keep going down five through seven, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Pause or you know, musical interlude, Selah. He's no longer sliding you all now when we hit verse five. He's in the grave. He's in the deep, dark pit. And he says, God, you put me there. And it's a place where he's remembered no more. It's, it's hell. It's, it's, I'm, I'm, you don't know me anymore. I'm gone from you. Now, I want to inter- interject here. Theologically, how do we understand this? Because in verse one, he says, Oh, Lord, God of my salvation. And now he's saying, I'm in the pit. You're not, no longer my salvation. I, you don't even know me. You don't even remember me. How do we reconcile his view of death? So important, you all, when we study our Bibles to, to practice proper hermeneutics, which is study, principles to study the Bible. And one that we talk about often, there's context, of course. And then there's also this principle called progressive revelation. And it's the reminder to us that when we start in our Bibles in Genesis, God revealed this much about himself and his purposes and his plans. And anyone who lived in the days of Genesis, you know much they knew of God's purpose and plans? Just Genesis. And then he would reveal more and he would reveal more. So you see, as you move toward the New Testament, progressively God revealing more and more, you get over here and you go, oh, oh, that's what that means. Oh, I have clarity. In this day, in terms of where we are in God's progressive revelation, this, the writer of this Psalm is living in a day when what happens after death is, it's rather opaque, y'all. It's not super clear. Now, those of us who, if this is the cross and we stand on this side of the cross and we look back, everyone in the room, we kind of go, wait, wait, wait. If you're a Christian, then when you die, you just step, you step into glory. You step into God's, Jesus's presence. You, you see, we just go, no, 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 it's that. Well, they didn't ha- he didn't have that then, okay? So for him, death, in a sense, is the end. God doesn't remember me anymore. Salvation that he speaks of, 
Salvation simply means to rescue from, to save from. And so he's saying, you are the God of my salvation. You're the God who saves me from the flood. You're the God who saves me from my enemies. You're the God who saves me from famine. You rescue me from hard places. Verse eight into 9b, you've caused my companions to shun me. You've made me a horror to them. I'm shut in so that I cannot escape. Just first part of nine, my eye grows dim through sorrow. This is a man saturated with sorrows. He's cried him, wept himself to exhaustion, his eyes swollen, puffy. He's gone from troubles. I'm a man full of troubles. And he slid back to Sheol and there's nothing to grab onto. And now I'm in the grave. And now it's even worse. Those who were close to me, my friends now shun me. You talk about separation, not just from God, but now from from those who I cared about and cared about me. Now they abhor me. They don't wanna get near me. I'll say this, and then we'll move on to the next section. How would we frame this, verses one through nine? One through nine, I cry day and night. I would frame it like this, in terms of thought and what he's saying. I cry day and night because death is winning. Because death is winning. Do you have that slide? Um, there we go. I cry day and night because death is winning. And for some of us, death you know, we go through these seasons, but some, for some of us, death is very close and death is winning. And I'll say more about death in a moment, but when death is winning, that is not a good thing. Verses nine through 12, he comes out of that to say, I call upon you every day. Look at verse, verses uh, nine through 12, 9b. He says, every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. This is how they prayed. I spread out my hands to you. Then he asks these questions. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Pause. Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon in destruction? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? Six rhetorical questions. And the answer to each one is no, 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 no. No, if when I'm in the grave, then, then there's no praise to you from the grave. There's no speaking of your wonders from the grave. It's over. In the normal Psalm of Lament, which this is an exception in many ways. In the normal Psalm of Lament, what, 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 we, what the psalmist does is he brings a plea to God brings a complaint to God. He questions God, why God? And then there's a turn. It's like there's a you and there's a, and yet you, God, but you, O Lord, are faithful. There's a turn, not in Psalm 88. Psalm 88 goes down like a roller coaster and never turns back upward. I'll say this about this particular section. I'm gonna phrase it this way. I call upon you every day because what you are doing makes no sense. Don't miss this, you all, because I don't know that there's any of us in the room, if you've lived long enough, who wouldn't, if you didn't say it, uh, wouldn't want to say, God, what you're doing makes no sense. 
And then we feel the depth of it in this last cry. Look at 13 to 18. But I, O Lord, cry to you in the morning. My prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Feel the distance in all these statements. Why do you hide your face? I mean, for, for God to hide his face from one is to be dead. That's called separation from God forever. Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up. I've been experiencing this from youth till now. This is not a one week, two months ordeal. He's been feeling this through his life. I suffer your terrors, I'm helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me again. In, in other Psalms of Lament, it would go, you're, you, 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 they surround me all day long. They close in on me together. And yet you lift me above the floodwaters. No, 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 not in Psalm 88. In fact, Psalm 88 ends with a downward movement. You've, you've caused my beloved. Here's again, his friends separated. You've caused my beloved and my friend to shun. One who is my beloved, my friend, they now shun me. They don't want to be near me. My companions have become darkness. Now we could rephrase that and here's what he's saying. My only friend is darkness. That's the phrase I would put on the tail end of this one when you speak of, I cry to you in the morning. Why? Because my only friend is darkness. And when your only friend is darkness, darkness is not a good friend. It's a bit of an oxymoron. And then we're left with this question. What in the world is this Psalm about? I mean, why why Psalm 88? How does Psalm 88, how does that shape faith in us? I've told this story many times, um, but I came to faith when I was 18 and I was reading a little tract written by Bill Bright who founded Campus Crusade for Christ, which is what I was, Lisa and I were on staff with Campus Crusade for many years, but it's the four spiritual laws. How many of you are familiar with four spiritual laws even today? Yeah, I'm telling you, God has used that little tool to lead thousands, not that you came to faith through it, but has used it to lead thousands to Christ. Four principles about what it means to be a Christian. Um, you know, and, and, it, and it walks through the gospel. And I trusted Christ when I read it. I was 18 years old, I was in my bedroom and I, and, and I had I'd read it before, but in this moment I read it and it made sense to me. And I'll say this, the first law, if you remember it, begins like this. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Now I came to faith in Christ when I, in, in, on that day and I have spent every year since unraveling what it means to have a wonderful life because it's turned out to be nothing like I thought. <laughs> wonderful, oh, oh, that's what a wonderful life looks like. And Psalm 88 helps us bring clarity to what that wonderful life is. I've got two lessons I'm gonna give you. Here's the first. No one lives happily ever after. Let's get that straight. No one lives happily ever after. That's a fairy tale ending and life's no fairy tale. And the wonderful Christian life is no fairy tale. No one escapes the planet unscathed. 
and no one, no, no one escapes death. Psalm 88 does, does not have a happy ending because death is not a happy ending and no one escapes death. Now, rightly so, as Christians, we understand that death doesn't ultimately win, okay? Let me be clear on this. If you place your faith in Christ, you know, when you die, you're immediately in the presence of Jesus. Now, this psalmist didn't have that clarity that we have, and I wanna be careful that we don't jump to it too soon. And what I mean by that is this, and, and please hear me and um, I'm not throwing anyone under the bus or I'm not saying I, I, won't, I won't do this or we shouldn't do this, but I've thought about it because I've done a number of funerals, memorials for, for many of us, family members and loved ones who have, have died. And um, rightly so, we, we will do, you know, and I'll do whatever the family would like, but generally it's like, we wanna do a celebration of life. And of course, we wanna celebrate their life. We wanna celebrate the gospel in their life and that they're with, in a better place. Yes, they're with Jesus. But I do pause at times because I don't know that we as Westerners and Western Christians do very well with the death part. And so we can be quick to move past death to let's celebrate. And, and I just wonder if we miss our celebrations aren't as deep as they can be because we don't stop and lament death. It's wrong. It's, it's, it's out of the pit. This is not the way it was meant to be and, and lament the death and the dastardliness of death. Are you tracking with me that we don't do that? And I think we may miss the depth of the celebration when we don't. Psalm 88 tells us the truth about life and how this is, life go, this is how life goes. Even a wonderful life, you die. And that's no good. And then there's a lesson on lament. And I'll just phrase it this way. Lament is continuing to talk to God when he's not talking to you. That's why I love the three times he says, I cry out, I cry out, I cry out. God never answers him. God never says anything to him, but he just keeps talking to God. And he's complaining to God. And he's saying things about God that aren't even true of God which tells me this. You may be dead wrong in what that pain and loss that's happened in your world, you may be dead wrong and when it comes out, it comes out ugly, but it comes out and you, you're, you're wrong about what you say about God, but it, it's not a empty complaint as long and it's not whining as long as you just keep talking to God about that pain. Just keep talking to him. You'll never be wrong. He'll never discount that. He's invited that lament. Oh, he can take your questions. He can take your anger and your rage. In fact, we can't live without expressing that. Which brings me to the morning, noon, and night. Let me, let me go to, okay, what do we do with this? Rob, in this book on page 114, gives a, wonderful five-part, six-part questions that'll walk you through a lament. Now, before he does it though, he says something that struck me and that's what I wanna grab for application. He said, when God has me in that place and I have to remind myself 
who God is and what he's about, when he's hiding himself from me, I've got to remember he's perfect and good and he's full of love and he's all about growing me in an ever deepening relationship with him. And I just thought, okay, he's all about growing me in an ever deepening relationship. with. So when, when we find ourselves in Psalm 88, we've got to hold that Psalm in this context of God is always about an ever deepening relationship with him. And that is how he uses the lament. And it raises a question that can get us on that path. And I'm gonna ask you to ponder it for just a moment. Look on the screen. I want you to think about this question. Will you trust a God who makes life miserable? I'm asking you on the front end. This is, this is where the Psalm describes. Will you trust a God who puts you in a deep, dark pit? Will you trust a God who hides his face from you? See, like, like I would say this, apart from the spirit opening your eyes, I think the natural response to those questions is no. <laughs> and I think those who don't know Christ would say no. Why would I trust a God who's gonna do that? You see what I'm saying? So this is a work of the spirit in us. I want you to answer the question, not to me, but to God. But before you do, I wanna invite you to a table this table that we go to week by week. We call it the Lord's table. And if you've gotten, if you didn't get your elements, go grab them, they're in the foyer, but we're gonna, I want you to take the bread and the cup and go ahead and take the top off, take the bread, take the cup and open it up. And I want us to, I want us to come to this table first. And the table is that second ordinance. The first being baptism. We do baptism once, one time. We come to this table over and over and over. Now think with me for a moment. The table is a remembrance. So every time we come to the table, we're remembering Jesus, what he did, why he did it, dying on the cross for our sins. Now, I want you to remember, okay, in this way today. You're holding the bread representing his body. You're holding the cup representing his blood. Do you know Jesus was made miserable by the Father in ways that no human being could ever endure? Do you know that he was put in the depths of the pit, a darker pit than any human could ever endure? He, he went in it. The Father put him there. Did you know that God's wrath was poured, about, or poured out on Jesus in a way that no human being could ever have it poured out on them and live? Because Jesus bore our sins, the wrath of God, all the wrath of God was satisfied, poured out on him. Do you know that Jesus in his, need, in his hour of greatest need was deserted by his closest friends? They fled, <coughs> abhorred him. Did you know that in his death on the cross, darkness was his only friend? You go, no, no, his father. No, no, no. The father turned the face on, his face on the son for the son was clothed in sin. Jesus took the deep darkness of Psalm 88. See, it's not just a lament, it's a messianic psalm. 
And I hope when I was reading it, you were going, that sounds like they did that to Jesus. That sounds like, yes, yes, yes. Jesus, you see, he took the darkness of Psalm 88, not so that you and I would never have to do that. No, no, no. He did it so that when you and I are in that place, we can know because Jesus went there for us. This is not our final place. There's something beyond this and beyond the darkness. Why? Because of Jesus. Lord Jesus, for your body broken, we say thank you. We remember. Receive the bread. for your blood poured out, your life poured out. Oh, the psalmist experienced such deep darkness and despair that he was only pointing us to what you would do, Jesus, when you went deeper and darker than any human could. And because you were sinless, you burst forth from that grave. And in you, Lord, we too burst forth from that darkness for your blood poured out, we say thank you, receive the cup. I want you to stand, please. And we're just gonna take a moment, but now with the taste of the bread and the juice of the cup in your mouth, will you answer this question for me? Not for me, for yourself. The question, will you trust a God who makes your life miserable at times? Will you trust a God who puts you in the deep, dark pit? Will you trust a God who hides his face from you? You can't, apart from Jesus, who suffered all this and more behalf. A week or so ago, I was talking to Rob Howard, who wrote the book, you know, our executive pastor, and he said, I was talking about grief and lament. He said, oh gosh, I read this great quote. Or I heard someone say this great quote. It was from a book called a, a Grief Disguised by a guy named Gerald Sitzer. And I knew the book. I said, wait, I read that book 20 years ago. He goes, oh yeah, this person quoted it or whatever and told me the quote. And I said, God, that is so good. Gerald Sitzer lost his mother-in-law, his mother and one of his three children in an auto accident, gone in the blink of an eye. It would be years later, he would write this book on reflections of that. And he, he had quoted his sister who made a statement. And that's the quote that Rob told me. And so I went and found my book. I, I still had it. And I pulled it up and I'm going, where's that quote? And boom, it's there. And sure enough, I had underlined the very quote that Rob said, I just forgotten it, but what an image, what a picture of of lament, hope and darkness. Note, Note this, here's where, this is right out of my book and I had to underline this 20 years ago. But he says, later my sister Diane told me that the quickest way for anyone to reach the sun and the light of day is not to run west chasing after the setting sun, but to head east, plunging into the darkness until one comes to the sunshine. I took my breath away. 
See, in our losses and laments, the sun is fading on the Western horizon and we want to go. And then it sets and we sit in this darkness and we go, I can't bear the darkness and we chase the sun. In lament, we sit in the darkness and we actually turn back to the east. It's darker still. You know the darkest moment, don't you, of a night just before this? And you, we go this way. And in that lament, do you see, God shapes Christ in us, y'all, in ways that he doesn't in the daylight. But we don't go east into the darkness empty-handed. We go with every promise that is ours in Christ Jesus, secured by his life, death, and resurrection. So you take the promises of God with you in the darkness. And it's those promises that hold us and keep us. Why? Because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so we sing this morning in our lament of the good promises of God that are ours, that are sure and certain hope.